0: Awesome. Again, good morning, you guys, and, and uh, glad you're here. We're going to pick up our verse-by-verse study through the Gospel of Matthew. We are in Matthew chapter 12 this morning, and we're going to be looking at the first 30 verses. Now don't be fearful of that. We'll get through them, but, but it's a great, great chapter, and we're going to look at them. If you need a Bible, just raise your hand, and we've got guys up here that will bring one right to your seat so you can follow along with us. I want to share for those of you that have heard, and and, uh, maybe you haven't, uh, last week was a pretty busy week for me, but God has been faithful. I left last Sunday as soon as service was over, One at the back door, hopped in the car and flew to California because my pastor, Pastor Dennis, he's been out here a number of times teaching for us, and and, uh, actually when I had my heart attack, he was out here and sent his guys out here. Well, he had a heart attack, um, and... uh, uh, they thought the the ones who we thought that the the aorta the left anterior descending artery that's the widowmaker one that's called that that was uh, calcified and they thought that it's actually become like porcelain and so they thought well we really can't do a a, a stent because if we put a stent in there it might just shatter that and that would be it but but even open heart surgery is 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 tricky so they transferred him to Cedars Sinai Medical Center in Los Angeles and uh, that's when I talked to him and and he asked me to come out. He said, man, if I have open-heart surgery, I'd, I'd, you know, you wanted me to be there for him. And I said, you betcha. And, and so um flew out there, and uh, somewhere along the line from the one hospital to the other, you know, they got to the new hospital, and they said, well, it's not as calcified as we think, and it's not porcelain, and we're able to put stents in, and we don't have to do open-heart surgery. And so <laughs> I praise the Lord. I said, no, it was as bad as it was. God healed him. God touched him. God took care of it. And... Uh, And it's just amazing. And so all the glory goes to to God. And and on behalf of Pastor Dennis, he asked me to thank all of you for praying for him. And he's doing well and and, uh, recuperating very well. So uh, God be glorified. All right. Matthew chapter 12, verses 1 through 30. Because there's so many verses, we'll just read them as we go along this morning. But the title of my study is Rest in the Midst of Stress, Hashtag Jesus Lord of All. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this time this morning, for your word, the promises found in your word to move and work in our lives that we can rely on, Lord, in times of stress and trouble and things that go on. We praise you and thank you for touching Pastor Dennis and healing him, and we give you all the glory for that. And we pray now, Lord, as we gather together with your word open up on our laps, that you would speak to our hearts and we'd have ears to receive all that you have for us, Lord, We can apply the truth into our lives and draw closer to you in our relationship with you. Lord, if there perhaps is someone here that does not have that relationship with you, they're not born again, they don't know what it means to have their sin forgiven, Lord, would you especially touch their heart today that they would come to know you and love you as so many of us do. Bless our time together. We commit it to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Stress. Something that we all deal with. It affects our bodies differently. I heard of one stressed out secretary who said this. She told her, boss, when this rush is over, I'm going to have a nervous breakdown. I earned it. I deserve it. And nobody's going to take it from me. (laughs) Have you been dealing with some stress in your life? Well, I also heard of a stress diet. I don't know if it helps. You start off with your breakfast, a half a grapefruit, one piece of whole wheat toast, and eight ounces of skim milk. Then for lunch, you have four ounces of lean, broiled chicken breast, one cup of steamed zucchini, one Oreo cookie, and some herb tea. Your mid-afternoon stack is the rest of the package of Oreo cookies, <laughs> one quarter of Rocky Road ice cream, one jar of hot fudge. Dinner time comes around, and it's two loaves of garlic bread, large mushroom and pepperoni pizza, a large pitcher of root beer, three Milky Ways, An entire frozen cheesecake eaten directly from the freezer. You've dealt with your stress. There you go. You know, we stress about things all the time. We stress about this. We stress about that. One thing we don't need to stress over, and that is the Super Bowl. With the Kansas City Chiefs out of it, who cares, right? I saw one t-shirt that says, I hope both teams lose. (laughs) Yeah, okay, that, that works for me. <laughs> the deep, it's been said the deepest aspects of a person's character are often revealed under stress. And I think we can look around this world and, and think, when this world is out of control, which it is, but our lives don't have to be. Remember what we looked at last Sunday. We closed with Matthew chapter 11. Look at verse 28 through 30 of Matthew 11. Jesus said, come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Those words from Jesus are to any person that is stressed out, any person that, that's under pressure, any person that's carrying a burden of any kind. An expanded translation of this statement of our Lord from the Greek goes as follows. Come here to me, all of you who are growing weary to the point of exhaustion and you are loaded with burdens and you are bending beneath your weight. I alone will cause you to cease from your labor and take away your burdens and refresh you with rest. Don't you love that? We looked at last week the words of Corrie ten Boom who said, Look within and be depressed. Look without and be distressed. Look at Jesus and be at rest. And that's what Jesus is saying here. Let me control your life. Let me be the one who directs and steers you from place to place. For I am gentle and lowly of heart, and you you will find rest for your soul. My yoke is easy. My burden is light. Cast your burden upon the Lord, and He will sustain you. But you have to let Him have control over every aspect of your life. And and really, that is a question that we have to ask ourselves this morning. In times of stress, have we relinquished total control of our lives over to Jesus Christ? Is He the one that we turn to when we go through times of, 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 of worry and stress? When, when times get hectic? Because as we do, we see uh, that Jesus is more than able to handle any situation that comes our way. And that's what we're going to look at this morning. We're going to see three different scenarios, three different situations that Jesus is more than able to handle And we're going to see three things in each scenario. Number one, we're going to see that Jesus is Lord over all of our days. Number two, Jesus is Lord over diseases. And number three, Jesus is Lord over the devil. You see, these events in chapter 12, chapter 13, they took place on one crucial day in our Lord's ministry. And as we come to chapter 12, we see the rebellion against the king is getting more and more intense, more fierce. The Pharisees have rejected his messenger, John the Baptist, in chapter 11, verses 1 through 19. They've not repented of their sin, even though Jesus has, has done mighty works in their cities, in verses chapters 20, verse 20 through 30 of chapter 11. And now, they're beginning to argue with Christ over his principles, the Sabbath question, and even accusing him of being in league with the devil. So this chapter is filled with stress and conflict, but Jesus shows us how we can find rest. That's when we realize, point number one, that Jesus is the Lord over our days. Look at verses 1 and 2. At that time, Jesus went through the grain fields on the Sabbath, and his disciples were hungry and began to pluck heads of grain and to eat. And when the Pharisees saw it, they said to him, Look, your disciples are doing what is not lawful to do on the Sabbath. Now understand, all the controversy in these 30 verses are all centered around one single issue, and that was the keeping of the seventh day of the week. We call it Saturday, what the Jews call it is is Sabbath or Shabbat. The conflict all centered around their view of keeping or breaking the Sabbath. And we see, first of all, that Jesus is going through the grain field with his disciples on the Sabbath, and they're hungry. And they're picking from there, and they're eating. Now, what's interesting is that there, there was a lot of grain fields back then, but this was the one grain field that was really special, because this one, the only one were the Pharisees, Decide to, to follow and actually spy on Jesus and see what is he doing and, and, you know, on, on the Sabbath. So they're kind of maybe popping their heads around the corner and looking and looking over here and, and then they, oh, we caught you, we caught you. You're taking a grain of wheat. That is, that is against the law. You're working on the Sabbath. You're busted. You know, it really wasn't against the law for them to eat. The law made provision, first of all, in Deuteronomy 23, for the hunger of such travelers. If you're walking along a path through a man's field, you could eat what grew along the path. So, don't be mistaken, Jesus and his disciples, they weren't ripping off some poor farmer by eating. You know, There was legal boundaries provided for in the law. The bigger question is, what are the Pharisees doing in the grain fields on the Sabbath day to begin with? And then Jesus makes a point that the Pharisees hadn't considered. Look at verses 3 and 4. Have you not read what David did when he was hungry? He and those who were with him, how he entered the house of God and ate the showbread, which was not lawful for him to eat, nor for those who were with him, but only for the priest. So the law said that the priest could only eat the sacred showbread exhibited there in the tabernacle. But in 1 Samuel chapter 21 When David's troops were hungry and God allowed them to to eat up, it was the only bread available. It saved David's men from starvation and and, and God never rebuked David for that. He allowed them for that. On top of that, look at now verses 5-7. through Jesus goes on. Or have you not read in the law that on the Sabbath, the priests in the temple profane the Sabbath and are blameless? Yet I say to you that in this place there is one greater than the temple. But if you've known what this means, that is desire mercy, not sacrifice, you would have not condemned the guiltless. So the Pharisees, they might have made an excuse for the temple priest, you know, working on the Sabbath, because they're serving the temple, thus serving God. But here Jesus is claiming to be not only greater than the temple priest, but, but greater than the temple. That really would have rustled their feathers. He was saying the one you serve in the temple is here in your midst. He, he's making himself equal with God. We'll talk about that more in a moment. He then quotes Hosea chapter 6, verse 6. He says, I desire mercy and not sacrifice. See, sacrifice for sacrifice's sake, or ritual for ritual's sake, it's of no value to God. You know, what really matters to God is that we show mercy and convey His heart. And they weren't doing that. They were not showing mercy to the hungry disciples, the, the guiltless, as Jesus calls them. You know that the, that the word Sabbath actually literally means to rest from labor? That is what the Sabbath is supposed to be about. And what Jesus is saying here is you're not going to find rest by following some tradition of man. You're not going to find that type of rest by just giving one day of week over to the Lord. The Pharisees had done that. They would taken the Sabbath day and had made it a day of traditions. In fact, they added thousands of laws to what the Sabbath day was supposed to be about. See, they have a book called the Talmud that goes along with their Torah that the Orthodox Jew would follow. And in the Talmud, there are 24 chapters dedicated to how to follow, uh, properly follow the Lord on the Sabbath. And those 24 chapters, you'll find things such as, as you're never allowed to carry anything heavier than, heavier than a dried fig on the Sabbath. It would constitute work. You were working and, and, and you can't work on the Sabbath. I mean, that's how insane they made this particular day. Not only that, if you had false teeth, you know wooden teeth—they didn't have you know the kind we have today—you would have to take them out before the Sabbath, because if you didn't, that means you were carrying a burden in your mouth. It's interesting to me that when we were at the hospital with Pastor Dennis at Cedar Sinai Medical Center in L.A., it's a Jewish hospital, and Pastor Dennis's daughter said on Saturday when she got into the elevator, she would want to press a button, and every one of the buttons were all lit up. As she stepped in. And she couldn't understand why. She thought maybe some kids were playing with it. But you see, even today, touching an elevator button on the Sabbath constitute works. And so they had one elevator in this Jewish hospital that would stop on each floor. I guess you can call it a kosher elevator. You know... So they have all these man-made rules on what they could or couldn't do on the Sabbath. You, you could look in a mirror. You couldn't walk more than 3,000 feet away from your house. You, you couldn't take a bath, which if I couldn't take a bath, why would I want to walk 3,000 feet away from my house? But that causes you to ask, what were the Pharisees doing in the field in the first place? They'd broken their own laws, their own rules by, you know, more than 3,000 feet away from their own homes on the Sabbath. But that's the way these guys were. They would go out of their way to find fault in others, and in so doing, err themselves. But you see, doing all these things, these traditions, they completely missed the point of the day. And so Jesus here takes the time to unwrap all of their confusion. And so doing, he's coming to these guys and he's saying, Listen, I'm not forgetting what the law said. I'm actually fulfilling the law. I'm not confused by it. I'm here to, to complete it. Because, unfortunately, that day had become a lot more complex, a lot more about the Pharisees and their rules and regulations and traditions than what it was meant to be. That's why Jesus responds in verse 8, For the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. Now, that would have really got to them. Because he's claiming that he's the Lord of the Sabbath. He's saying, I'm the one that created the Sabbath in the first place. I created it for a day of rest. Now, if you've ever, ever wondered where Jesus claims to be God, this is one of those verses there. He's the Lord of the Sabbath. That's the day that we rest in Him. Now, 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 17 tells us, Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. So, there shouldn't be these 24 chapters of bound-up traditions and policies that have to be performed. There should be a freedom of, And a liberty that we have in Christ to to enjoy. Because he is our Sabbath. And if he is our Sabbath, then he needs to become the Lord of all of our days, not just one day a week. You see, Jesus here pretty much starts this particular day as he's gone any other day in his life and his ministry. He's going to eat where he wants to eat. He's going to sit where he wants to sit. He's going to walk where he wants to walk. He's going to bless who He wants to bless. He's going to heal who He wants to heal. He's going to deliver who He wants to deliver because all the days of a Christian life are holy days. Jesus is to be our Sabbath. He's to be our rest. He's to be Lord over all of our days. Every day is the Lord's. Now, if you happen to be in that position where you say, well, you know, I have to keep the Sabbath. Sunday is my Sabbath and I have to keep it. Listen, that's good, but God wants the other six days as well. Okay? Every day should be for the Lord. Listen, we keep the Sabbath not because of the particular day we choose to worship. We keep the Sabbath by worshiping the Lord of the Sabbath. You get that? We keep the Sabbath by worshiping the Lord of the Sabbath. And He's to be the Lord over all of our days. I love what Paul writes in Romans chapter 14, verse 5 through 8. He says this, One person esteems one day above another, another seems every day alike, Let each be fully convinced in his own mind. He who observes the day, observes it to the Lord. And he who does not observe the day, to the Lord he does not observe it. He who eats, eats to the Lord, for he gives God thanks. And he who does not eat to the Lord, he does not eat and gives God thanks. For none of us lives to himself, and no one dies to himself. For if we live, we live to the Lord. And if we die, we die to the Lord. Therefore, whether we live or die, we are the Lord's. We're to live as holy for him on Monday as we do today. Holy before Him on Friday night and Saturday night as we do on Sunday morning. Why? Because we're the temple of the Holy Spirit. So that everything about us is, is to be holy every day of the week because He's the Lord of all of our days. Reminds me of the story about the, uh, the old Baptist church where the kids snuck into the sanctuary. And the parents found them there and reported to the pastor and said, hey, the, the, the children are in the sanctuary and they're chewing gum in the sanctuary. Tell how old the story is... And the old pastor says, no, you have it all wrong. Actually, the, ch- the sanctuaries are chewing gum. It's the other way around. Ever think about that? I, I mean, that's how, how we are to think, that, that we are a living sanctuary of the Lord, the temple of the Holy Spirit, living for Him not just one day out of the week, but all the days, all hours, all the time. And Jesus is really challenging them with this. But this brings us to our second point, That's number two. Jesus is Lord over diseases. Look at verse 9. Now when he had departed from there, he went into their synagogue. (laughs) Notice it says their synagogue. Same Pharisees, same guys, you know, the, the, the guys spying on them in the grain field. Verse 10. And behold, there was a man who had a withered hand. And they asked him, saying, Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath that they might accuse him? Again, same guys that stuck their heads through the grain fields and tried to, tried to nail his disciples on, on getting something to eat. And they, oh, no, you can't do that. It's against the law. Same guys are now peeking behind the curtain in, in, in the synagogue and saying, Hey, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? And we get some insight as Matthew writes that they asked Jesus so they might trip him up, they might accuse him. Hey, we saw you come in here. We saw you looking at the guy with the withered hand over there. What are you going to do now? Is it lawful for you to heal this guy? What is Jesus going to do? He's going to do what he absolutely loves to do and he's going to heal a person's life. He's going to to touch a person's life. He's going to also use it as a time of teaching. Look at verse 11. Then he said to them, What man is there among you who has one sheep and if it falls into a pit on the Sabbath will not lay hold of it and lift it out? Of how much more value then is a man than a sheep? Therefore it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. Now verse 12 really characterizes our culture today of how much more value then is a man than a sheep. I mean we have a lot of people out there who are out there who would spend hours of time protesting and and picketing, save the wells and save the spotted owls, and save the seals and and I I agree, we, we need to. But why are we putting more value on them than we do on an unborn baby on human life? We live in a society now where we murder our children and worship our animals. And more and more we're hearing these these states push for legalization of murdering babies minutes before they're born. I pray to God that there's a revival, that that this stops and because of all this happening that that, man, that the law has changed and and Christians rise up and we see this thing turned around. I like uh, Johnny Erickson Todd's insight on this. She writes this, Gradually, though no one remembers exactly how it happened, the unthinkable becomes tolerable and then acceptable and then legal and then applaudable. It's, it's happened. Here Jesus you know, applies his words directly to that situation. He says, hey, which one of you guys on the Sabbath day, if one of your sheep, not pet sheep, your livelihood, happens to fall into a pit, who, what one what, what of you wouldn't pick him up and get him out of there? How much more value then is human life? How much more value does this guy sitting over in the corner have with his withered hand on the Sabbath day? Why wouldn't it be valued for him to be healed? But you see, that's always what the law does. When you become all bound up with regulations and traditions and religious rituals, your heart becomes cold and hardened towards people and you constantly judge them and you're finding fault with everybody. Listen, religion apart from a relationship with Jesus Christ will make you pompous, snooty, holier than than thou Pharisee judging everyone. And that's why Jesus does what he does. Look at verse 13. I love this. Then he said to the man, Stretch out your hands. I love that. And now it's interesting to me that this guy could have looked at Jesus and said, are you kidding? I've had this hand this way forever. You're asking me to do something that's impossible. I can't stretch out my hand. Do you know that right now there's a lot of us in this room that God has asked us to do something that's impossible? We think it's impossible. Maybe we, we, Lord, said, flee from fornication. Stop living together. You don't need this alcohol. And so oh, I just can't, I can't, I can't do that. That's impossible. But you can. You can. He can give you the ability to do it as you take that step of faith and obey and, and, and to live and to follow the life he has prescribed for you. I mean, that's what happens to this guy. Look at verse 13 again. Then he said to the man, stretch out your hand, and he stretched it out, and it was restored as whole as the other. Listen, with God's commandment comes God's enablement. If God gives you a command, he'll give you the power to do it. He wouldn't give the command unless he gives you the power to carry out the command. And this man with the withered hand might have thought this is impossible. But with the command came the power, the enablement. And then the man was healed. I mean, this is great. Then verse 14, then the Pharisees went out and plotted against him how they might destroy him. Oh, what a happy bunch of guys these are. And all of a sudden, this guy with this withered hand who's been sitting in the back of the church, who's there every Sabbath, gets healed on the spot. And do they rejoice in it? Are they happy about it? Oh No, they look for a chance to kill Jesus, to wipe him out, to destroy him. Now, do you think it's because he healed the guy on the Sabbath? No, that's not the reason. The real reason they wanted to destroy him and kill Jesus is because their view of his claims. Jesus claimed to be the Messiah. He claimed to be the Lord of the Sabbath. He claimed to be greater than the temple. All those claims, they knew unmistakably what this man is doing. He's claiming himself to be not only the Messiah, but God himself. That's why they wanted to destroy him. But you know what? It didn't stress Jesus out. It didn't scare Jesus. It doesn't stress. He doesn't stop doing what he's been doing. In fact, look at verse 15. But when Jesus knew it, he withdrew from there, and great multitudes followed him, and he healed them all i love that verse he healed them all you want to underline that highlight that and, and isn't this great it's on the sabbath no less he's going to down you're healed you're healed you're healed oh by the way you're healed hey get up and walk you're healed hey you need to hear and he's healing them all all of them just, just healing one after another i love it now why is he doing that just to cause trouble to the fair day look what i've done no it's so he could show them truly the purpose of the day and that is that the Lord is to be the Lord of all of our days as well as He's the Lord of all of our diseases. Maybe today you're here this morning in our church on this particular Sabbath day, even though every day should be a Sabbath, but you're feeling kind of withered, you know, kind of worn out, and the Lord would say to you, would you let me be the Lord over your disease? Man, He would love to, to, to heal you, to lift you up out of that pit to restore you, get you back to that, that life that, that, he gave, that He came to give you. Because if He's the Lord of our days, He's the Sabbath, He's the meaning of it, and the reason for it, then He's the Lord of our diseases, and He could do what He wants in our lives. I mean, that's what the Sabbath points to. That's what the day reminds us of. In fact, Paul also says in another part of Scripture, Colossians two sixteen and 17, So let no one judge you in food or in drink, or regarding a festival or a new moon or Sabbaths, which are a shadow of things to come, but the substance is of Christ. He says, don't let anyone judge you on the the day you worship the Lord. Every day you should be worshiping the Lord. He he wants them all. But then he adds these things. They're just a shadow of things to come, but the substance is of Christ. So you might be saying, well, you know what? I'm not healthy today. I'm sick. Why does it have to be a shadow of things to come? Why can't I be healed right now? Why isn't God healing me right now? Why am I not well? Here's the good news. Someday you will. As as a Christian, one day He will heal all of our diseases. Amen? Right now, the healings that take place are a shadow of things to come. Someday, all of our infirmities, someday all of our illnesses, all of our diseases will be completely done away with. No more sickness, no more sorrow, no more pain, no more death. But until then, God uses all of these things for His glory. I do know this. I've learned more in the days of sickness and trouble and in hardship than I've learned in the happiest and healthiest days of my life. And maybe the Lord is just trying to get your attention through some kind of disease, through some kind of a sickness. But let me say this, if He doesn't heal you today, it's not a matter of if, it's a matter of when someday He will. In the meantime, allow the Lord to be the Lord over every area of your life, over, over that disease, over that situation that He has you in. You know, there's so much... Um, false teaching of, on the topic of, of healing. And one of the biggest ones I think out there you hear is, well, if you're sick, then it must be of the devil and you just don't have enough faith to be made whole. But you see, if people who, who teach that would just read their Bibles, they would see that there are a lot of people in the Bible that were allowed to become sick for the glory of God. Think about the blind man that, that Jesus healed. Before he did all of that, Jesus' critics said, well, well, why is this man blind? No, was it born blind? Well, whose fault is it? Who committed the sin? Was it himself or was it the sin of his parents? And and Jesus, what does Jesus say? Well, listen, it's neither. You know why this guy was born blind? So the works of God could be revealed in his life. Or think about Lazarus, who Jesus raised from the dead. You know, his sickness and his disease had nothing to do with the devil at all. Why was Lazarus sick? So that God could be glorified in Lazarus' life. I mean, word gets to Jesus and he hears that Lazarus is sick. What does he do? Oh, well, let's stay here a few more days because he's not sick really, really. See, he's not dead yet. So let's wait till he dies and then I'll get there and I'll raise him from the dead. I understand there's nothing wrong with going to the doctor or seeing a specialist, but I say go to the Lord first. You know, show that, that he is the Lord over your disease. Seek him first. And if, if you're uh, in the midst of feeling withered and down, disease and fatigue, say, say Lord, I just give this all to you. And I pray that I'll learn what you teach me, what you want me to learn, but, but through this I'm going to grow. It's just like the Apostle Paul. Remember Paul's disease? Paul had that thorn in his flesh, and he prays a bunch of times, three times, that God would remove that thorn from him, yet God never does. But in allowing it to remain in Paul's life, Paul becomes more dependent upon the Lord, more humble in his walk with the Lord, and more useful to God as a result. Does that sound something that Satan would want in Paul's life, so Paul would become more effective? No, it didn't come, the disease, the thorn didn't come from the devil. I don't think so. See, God is working in your life right now and saying if there's any area, any day, anything that you're truly you know not trusting in Him, not allowing Him to be the Lord, over, then today is the day, it's time to turn everything over to the Lord. Put it in His hands and let Him use you just as you are, even if you're not healed. Yeah, I, I, yeah the, the, the Lord, I mean, Satan buffeted Paul, and 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 it was that way, but God allowed it. God used it for His glory. And sometimes we see people on Christian TV, people praying over somebody, praying these these demons out. I heard of one where they were praying and, and casting out this person who had the, had the demon of cholesterol. <laughs> the demon of high blood pressure. We're just casting it out today. You now it really had nothing to do with demons, okay? It's just a bad diet. Get on the treadmill. Get that cholesterol down. Take care of this temple, the body that the Lord has given you. And yes, I'm speaking to myself in case you're wondering. <laughs> I think of Johnny Erickson Tata again, a quadriplegic from a diving accident at 17 years old. What an example of God's strength and power and great grace. You think that Satan wants her that way? No way. You see, you have to love the Lord enough allow Him to use the things that He's allowed in your life so that you can bring Him glory. And those around you can see that Jesus truly is the Lord of your life. Another quote from, from Johnny Erickson Tata, she said about God, quote He has chosen not to heal me, but to hold me. The more intense the pain, the closer His embrace. Maybe you're physically at the top of your health, but, but your business is sick. Maybe it's your marriage or your relationship with your kids. It's disease. It isn't functioning like it should. Give it to him today. Let it be. Let him be the Lord over that situation. Let him be the Lord of all. Now look at verses 17 through 19. Matthew writes, That it might be fulfilled which was spoken by Isaiah the prophet, saying, Behold, my servant whom I have chosen, my beloved in whom my soul is well pleased, I will put my spirit upon him, and he will declare justice to the Gentiles, he will not quarrel, nor cry out, nor will anyone hear his voice in the streets. Jesus here is quoting Isaiah 42, verses 1-4. through 4. He's talking about how the Lord says when, when Jesus comes, he would be rejected by the Jews, but the Gentiles would receive him. This is all a fulfillment of prophecy. And, he, and he's telling us Jesus' style was never to force himself on anyone. You know, Jesus avoids ugly confrontations as much as possible. When the Pharisees, you know, when he heard they wanted to kill him, what did he do? He departs from that place. He doesn't fight back. If he did, he would have won. It wouldn't have been a battle. He just withdrew himself and ministered to the people, healed them all who were willing to receive ministry. Jesus wasn't a bully. He didn't bulldoze people. He came in kindness and gentleness. Verse 20, it says, A bruised reed he will not break, and smoking flax he will not quench till he sends forth justice to victory and in his name Gentiles will trust. Listen, there might be some bruised reeds and smoking flax here this morning. Been beaten down by the world. And you come dragged in and you're worn out. You've forgotten how to stand tall and some of you are just, just about burned out. The world is doused. Your, your fire and your passion, your flame is almost fizzled. Listen, Jesus doesn't finish you off. He doesn't wipe you out. His goal is not to put you down. His goal is to pick you up. He takes those last remaining embers and fans of flame. He he puts a splint around that bent reed until it mends. He brings hope and healing and encouragement. That's what He does. He cares for us. I love Hosea chapter 11 verse 4. He says, He draws us with bands of love. Holds us together. Now this brings us to our third and final scenario. Number one the disciples picking grain from the grain field to show us that he's the Lord of the Sabbath. Uh, Jesus is the Lord of the Sabbath. Number two, the man with the withered hand to show us that Jesus is Lord of our disease. And finally, number three, the demon-possessed, blind, and mute man to show us that Jesus is Lord over the devil. Look at verses 22 through 24. The one which brought to him who was demon-possessed, blind and mute, and he healed him. So that the blind and the mute man both spoke and saw and all the multitudes were amazed and said, Could this be the son of David? Now when the Pharisees heard it, they said, This fellow does not cast out demons except by Beelzebub, the ruler of the demons. I don't know if they talk that way, but they kind of... <laughs> I mean, here are Jesus' critics, once again, still on the Sabbath day, accusing him of casting demons by the ruler of demons out himself. Beelzebub, look at verse 25. But Jesus knew their thoughts and said to them, Every kingdom divided against itself is brought to desolation. And every city or house divided against itself will not stand. If Satan cast out Satan, he is divided against himself. How then will his kingdom stand? And if I cast out demons by Beelzebub, by whom do your sons cast them out? Therefore they shall be your judges. Now, at that time there were a lot of Jewish guys running around trying to cast demons out of people. And he says, hey guys, if I'm doing it as you say, then what are you guys doing it in the name of? I mean, they're going to be your judges. But, he says, look at verse 28. But if I cast out demons by the Spirit of God, surely the kingdom of God has come upon you. Now, this is the time in Jesus' ministry that these religious rulers really began to get ticked off. They, they were not happy. Because not only is he showing us that he's the Lord of all of our days, not just one day, all of our days, not only is he showing us he's the Lord over our diseases, you know, happy days and healthy days, but, but, but hard days, but thirdly, he's showing us he's the Lord over the devil. I mean, here was a demon-possessed, blind and mute man, and Jesus healed him right there on the spot so that the blind and mute man both spoke and saw, just showing his authority and power. And these guys just, they didn't like it. Jesus is Lord over the devil. He's the Lord over the demons. And, and by the way, this was still all happening on the Sabbath day. Now, this brings us to a very important topic, demon-possession. Is it still around? Does it still happen today? Absolutely, it is absolutely still real. It's more today than it's ever been. But Christian, take note of this: If Jesus Christ has been invited into your life, if the Holy Spirit has possessed you with the love of God, if the light of Christ is in your life, if you're truly born again, then the devil is out of your life altogether. See, light and darkness cannot dwell in the same place. When it comes to light and, and the darkness, it doesn't have the, a choice. A, a matter: a Christian cannot be demon possessed can't be demon-possessed and follow Christ at the same time. There's only one room for one occupant in your heart. There's not a a, a timeshare thing going on there. You know, it's not like that. You either are or you're not a child of God. There's no gray area here at all. You're either a child of God or you're a child of the devil. Either the light of Christ is in your life because you've accepted what he did upon the cross and his love has overwhelmed your life or it hasn't. But if it has, then the devil has no control over you. And, by the way, you shouldn't be fighting the devil in your own strength anyway. In fact, quite the opposite. You should be seeing victory in every area of your life. Why? Because now the Lord is the Lord of all your days. He's the Lord over your diseases. And He's the Lord over the devil. And if He isn't the Lord of your life, but you're still fighting by yourself, that's not a good place to be. Because you're out on your own. I think of Acts chapter 19. You have a bunch of guys that are trying to cast out a demon in their own strength, and it's not going so well. Listen to this, Acts 19, verse 13. Then some of the itinerant Jewish exorcists took it upon themselves to call the name of the Lord Jesus over those who had evil spirits, saying, We exercise you by the Jesus whom Paul preaches. Probably not a good idea. I mean, you kind of get where the problem is, that they never knew Jesus for themselves. They're living this re- religious vicarious life through someone else's relationship with Jesus and they're just kind of throwing around his name. You know, we hear that a lot. You know, it's Academy Awards. I don't want to thank God, Jesus. for this. Well, you don't even know who Jesus is. These guys are getting themselves in hot water because they, they begin calling out the name of who? Uh, uh, Jesus in, in the Bible. That guy. The one that Paul talks about. But they never knew him personally. That's why there's no victory in their life. No victory over disease. No victory over any of their days. And certainly no victory over the devil. In fact, look what happens in Acts chapter 19, verse 15. It says, And the evil spirit answered and said, Jesus I know, and Paul I know, but who are you? Then the man in whom evil the spirit was leaped on them, overpowered them, and prevailed against them so that they fled out of the house naked and wounded. Big time defeat. Not a victory. They lost and they left. Folks, listen. They left the way. I hope nobody leaves, leaves here this morning. Not naked and wounded. That's not what I'm talking about, but having heard a little bit more about Jesus, but still not personally knowing Him. And that's a problem. A person like that is just going through the motions, they're just playing church, they're playing games with God. And that's not how God wants us to live. Notice what Jesus says back in Matthew 12, verse 28. He says, But if I cast out demons by the Spirit of God, surely the kingdom of God has come come upon you. I mean, He is just laid it on the line to these guys. I have proven to you that a house divided against itself cannot stand. I have proven to you that I am Lord of the Sabbath. I have proven to you that I am Lord over disease. And I have proven to you that I am Lord even over the devil. Therefore know this, the kingdom of God is here. And this is powerful. I picture like one of those Mel Gibson movies, you know, where he he comes over the top of the hill and he's standing there and ready to attack and all of a sudden all these other armies come behind him and say, the kingdom of God is here. I mean, he's making war against legalism, against sin, against the devil, and anyone and anything that gets in the way of freeing people from the bondage of sin and death. That's why Jesus says in these last two verses that we'll look at this morning, look at verse 29 and 30. Jesus says, Or how can one enter a strong man's house and plunder his goods unless he first binds the strong man and then he will plunder his house? He who is not with me is against me and he who does not gather with me scatters abroad. Who's the strong man? Well, it's got to be Satan, the devil. He's the strong man being depicted here by Jesus. Who's the house? Well, you are. I'm the house. And Satan, the strong man, he he says here, is moving in and taking over. Now, we really didn't have control over that. We were born with a sinful nature. You know, he was there. You woke up and he was there. That God Almighty sent his Son, Jesus Christ, to come and die on a cross and defeat the strong man. And now he's in the process of sweeping and cleaning this house called the world. But the question is, have you allowed him to sweep that strong man out of your life? Now you may say, well, well Tom, I think God's done that, but that strong man seems to be keep coming back and, and trying to get back in and put up a fight. Well, he will. I mean, he will fight with all he's got to get back in, but make, don't, make no mistake about it, the strong man is strong. But listen, greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Christ is going to rightly defend that which belongs to him. He is going to fight victoriously this battle for you as you allow him to be the Lord of your life. Man, you've been fully armed with the armor of God. You're dressed for battle, dressed for war, and God will win this one for you if you let him. He will bind the enemy. Have you heard that before people pray, oh, we bind Satan in, in the name of Jesus? That, that terminology is drawn from this illustration. Often the person we, we pray for is a POW. He's, a, he's a, a spiritual prisoner of war. He's under the devil's sinister influence. And before they can be set free, the guard has to be overthrown. That's why in warfare prayer, we ask Jesus to bind Satan because only Jesus can. I can't bind Satan, but I can pray. Pray, Lord Jesus, would you bind Satan from this person's life and set them free from the power of sin and death that the devil has a hold on them? Lord Jesus, would you help them to see that you are the only way, the truth, and the life, and no man comes to the Father but through you? Listen, a prayer like that is like a stun gun, zap. I mean, it just, just immobilizes, binds the devil. Stops him. Listen, just let God whoop on the devil. Okay, let, let, let Jesus take care of it. He's the Lord over the devil. So quit messing around. You know, some days living for him, some days living for you. No, he's got to be the Lord of every area of our life, of our whole lives. Lord over our days, Lord over, Lord over our diseases, and Lord over the devil. As we close, we enter a time of communion. Is Jesus Lord over every area of our lives? Are there some areas in your life where you've said to Jesus, Man, off limits, that door is shut. You know, listen, Jesus wants our whole lives. As we enter into a time of communion, this is the perfect time to surrender afresh to Him. To say, Lord, I've been holding on to this area in my life. I know you've been asking me to give it over to you. I need to do it this morning. Maybe it's, a, maybe it's a fear that you have. Maybe it's a, an anger issue. Maybe it's a, it's, a, it's a habit. Maybe it's something you're caught up in and the Lord is saying, listen, I want you to turn it over to me. Again, the Bible says that our body are, are, are the temple of God. We have the temple of the Holy Spirit. And it does happen sometimes in the lives of believers where we, we're, where we make a commitment to Jesus Christ. And He does clean house. And all those old habits, they all go away. And we're a new person in Christ. Old things pass away. All things become new. It's wonderful. But then slowly but surely through compromise, some bad habits start to come back in. And in time, we're cluttered maybe with the same things that we used to be burdened with prior to coming to Christ. See, now is the time to say, Lord, I want you to be Lord of all my life, not just certain areas. Lord, I invite you to come into my heart and clean uh, clean house again. If there's something that's there that shouldn't be there, get rid of it. If there's something that needs to be cleansed, then cleanse it. If there's something that needs to be taken away, then take it away. See, that's what God wants to do. We need constant cleansing because we constantly sin, and we need to come back to Him over and over and over again and making sure that we're turning from our wicked ways. And communion is a perfect time for that. It's for believers to gather together. Remember what Jesus Christ did upon the cross. Now, if you're here this morning and you're not a believer and you've not surrendered your heart to Jesus Christ and He's not your Lord, Then really when we pass out the communion, the bread and the juice, we ask you to just let it pass by because the Bible teaches that you will bring judgment upon yourself by receiving communion if you're not a believer in Jesus Christ. But I have a better idea for you. If you don't know Christ, give your life to Him this morning. Say, Lord, take control of my life. I surrender to you every area. Forgive me of my sin. I want to be born again. God will do that work in your life. He'll clean house. You don't have to do it. You don't have to clean up your life and then come to him. He'll clean it up for you. You just need to come to him. And I want to give you that opportunity as we enter into a time of communion. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for this time this morning. We thank you for your word. And we thank you, Lord, for each scenario that we looked at this morning. to show us the authority that you have, Lord. You are the Lord of all of our days, and you should be. Lord, you are the Lord of all the, our diseases. Lord, you, you are control. You can heal. You can strengthen us. You can do what you want because you are the Lord. And Lord, if we're dealing with a disease in, in our lives, Lord, we can ask for a healing. Lord, and you are the, the, the Lord over the devil. Lord, as believers, he is no longer has any authority in our lives or power in our lives. And Father, I pray right now, if there's anyone here that is yet to surrender their heart and life to You. Lord, they've come here this morning and, and they're just kind of listening and, and hearing Your Word maybe for the first time and You've been touching their heart. And they've been listening and they, now they want to make a commitment to You this morning. I pray, Lord, You give them the faith and the strength to, to say, yes, I want to follow You today. While our eyes are closed and our heads are still bowed, is there anyone here this morning you want to give your life to Jesus Christ? Surrender your heart to Him to be forgiven of your sin to be born again today. If that's your desire, would you just raise your hand so I could pray for you this morning? Anybody at all? This is between you and the Lord making a commitment to, to, to be born again, to have your sin forgiven, to follow Christ. Just raise your hand and I'll pray for you. Lord, thank you that we as believers can come to this communion table, open our hearts to you, Lord. We can worship you, praise you, Be thankful for what you did for us upon the cross. Lord, we can be forgiven, cleansed for the things that have got back into our lives. We praise you for this time. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.